which talks about uh, if you decide to follow Jesus, what it means. It means that you will uh, take up your cross daily, uh, deny yourself and follow him. That's what it says. And so we've talked about that and, and tried to look at it from all different angles. And so today we'll do that as, as well. Um, one of the things I, I shared with you uh, last week, a verse, is out of Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And, and it's kind of an interesting verse because in Revelation, uh, this is not where we're going to go in today. This is just a preface to everything else we're going to do. Um, in Revelation, uh, there is a place where it talks to the s- several churches. And, and there's kind of a, a, an evaluation process of the churches there in Revelation. And one in particular is not necessarily a, a great uh, evaluation. that they, pa- they fail in their evaluation. And it says this in Revelation 3.15. It says, I know your deeds, that you're neither, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And I shared with you last week that that word spit out of my mouth actually means <laughs> vomit. And that's how sick it makes God that we're kind of lukewarm, that we're not hot or cold. Uh, he said, wants you to be the other. Don't just be lukewarm. And, he, and so that's what this whole thing is about in a real sense. The thing is, is this, is that we, uh, we are people that are called to make a commitment to God. And one of the things that we we're to make a commitment to is not just our, in our knowledge. Y'all know what this is, right? Yardstick, right? Okay, you know what it is. I really wanted an 18-inch stick, but Dan wouldn't. This is Dan, ben, uh, Dan Benders. No, it's not Dan Benders. It's Dan Bakers, our children's pastor, and he wouldn't let me cut it in two. Uh, and so I really only need 18 inches of the stick, but 18 inches is the measurement I'm thinking about today in regard to this, because what we've been talking about in the fan and the follower is this, there's the commitment, the difference between being a fan and a follower. Another way of looking at it is the difference between our head and our heart. It's that about that 18 inches about that far is how far it takes to get that far. And as we look at that, uh, you know, the thing is, is it's, it's easy to have a head knowledge of God. It's easy to have this, uh, uh, this ability to, to, to study and go to Bible studies and understand things and whatever. But there's a difference when we, have a, we know God and we, we commit to him uh, with our whole heart. And that's what the Bibles talk about. So we're going to look at that again today, this, this whole thing. And what we want to do, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at a passage there, a story that maybe you've heard before, but a story that unpacks um, this guy that took a journey, this 18-inch journey from his head to his heart. And in taking that journey, it's a description of what it means, the difference between being simply a fan, somebody who knows about God, who says, I believe in God, and a follower, somebody who is committed fully to God. Because God wants us to be followers, not just fans. We said a fan is an, is an enthusiastic admirer. And there's lots of people who would say that they're fans of, of Jesus. Uh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Go Jesus, you know. But uh, not, a, not as many people that are followers of him. So we'll be looking at that today. And in Luke's, and, excuse me, in Acts chapter 16, uh, there's a story there toward the end of that uh, chapter of two guys that we've seen many times in Scripture, Paul and Silas and his friend Silas. And they've been on uh, some journeys there, uh, planting churches. And as they've gone to this one place, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're in the story, they're, they encounter uh, this lady and uh, she has... Uh, uh, a, a, a spirit within her and and and, and it's really interesting because uh, uh paul actually in the story not making a long story short but paul actually gets kind of irritated with this lady and her spirit because and he says after a few days of putting up with it he decides paul says you know out of you spirit and the spirit is let leaves the lady and obviously there was some kind of a value the spirit gave her to, for, as far as fortune telling and whatever and so uh she lost lost her uh, her value to her owner's and her owners basically 
uh, get Paul and Silas arrested. And that's the story that we come into today. They get them arrested. They're beaten. They're flogged. They're taken to prison. They're thrown into prison. And that's where we find them today. And so here they are in prison. And it says in prison, it's interesting, in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 16, the verses right before uh, about verses 20 through 26 or 25 there, it talks about while that, uh, about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. And what were they doing? They were sing, uh, praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That's their attitude in prison. Uh, that's a follower's attitude, that not necessarily that you're always happy and joyful about everything, but the reality is even in a situation such as this that you can find peace and you can find something to, to pray, praise God about in the midst of all these things. So that's where we are. Let's, let's turn to, uh, in your Bible to 16, verse, beginning with verse 26. And we're going to be looking at this story today, unpacking it, and talking about some things that we can learn, and once again defining this difference between a fan and a follower. And today I want to talk about some very specific defining moments and defining decisions that all of us need to make if we're going to be a, not just simply a fan, but we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Acts chapter 16, 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, interestingly enough, uh, a natural disaster, or if you want to call it a natural disaster, unnatural disaster happens, and the chains are loosened. Now, that sounds like a great deal for the prisoners, right? Their chains are loosened. They're going to be able to get out of prison. But then it says this in the very next couple of verses. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Is that your first reaction if you're a prison guard? Is you're going to kill yourself if you see the doors to a prison open? In that culture, yes, because the, the reason is that when a prisoner, when a jailer was watching prisoners in Roman prisons, what would happen is if they escaped, he would pay the penalty for the people that escaped. So that was a kind of a motivation to keep the people in jail, to make sure that they, uh, they were in jail. It says he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That's what he sees. That's what the, the scenario is here. But then it says this. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Two reasons he was probably trembling. Number one, I mean, if the earthquake happened, any of you ever been in an earthquake? I've, I've felt one before, you know. Uh, do we have earthquakes around here? Yeah, we did, I guess, a while back. It wasn't like anything major, but uh, uh, talking to, I was giving uh, one of our band members a hard time earlier. He's getting ready to move to L.A., and I said they have some really good property on San Andreas Fault out there for sale, and, uh, and uh, you know, we was talking about that, and I'm sure they're going to experience, uh, hopefully not bad, uh, earthquakes and stuff. But earthquakes are pretty, pretty frightening. Actually, recently, uh, just in the last couple of years on the East Coast in a place where I used to live in Roanoke, Virginia, and up, actually up toward Washington, D.C. area, they felt an earthquake all the way up through there, which hadn't happened in years and years and years. And, and we got calls from family members and friends, and they were like, you wouldn't believe what happened, you know, and it was like, wow, you know, it's, it's incredible. And so the deal is, the deal is, is, uh, is that was what was going on here. And he was probably trembling because of that. But there's, there's a couple other reasons he's probably trembling. Uh, number one, he thought the prisoners had escaped, so he was fearful for his own life. This prison guard was, this jailer was. He was fearful for his own life. He thought if they escaped, 
what's going to happen to me next is I, and, and some of these guys had the death penalty, I'm going to be killed. This is the end of my life. And then I thought about some, one other reason he probably was trembling too. Because the, 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 Paul says, says, don't harm yourself, we're all here, come on in. I don't know if he says, y'all come, or whatever. Uh, I was in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, I kind of got used to the y'all come stuff back again. And so um, uh, that was uh, interesting. Um, but uh, he told him to come in. And just think, a few hours earlier, I mean, a few, maybe a few hours or days earlier, many of these prisoners had been flogged and beaten before they went into prison. You know who did that? The jailers were responsible for part of that deal. So this same jailer who now is going into the jail with the prisoners who were unshackled, He's going to this prison. He's there. And what's happening is, 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 is these guys, you know, who, who he knows, he's probably beaten. Uh, he's going in too. So he's probably a little afraid for his life there too. So he doesn't know what's going on. He's trembling for all these things. But the interesting thing here, though, is Paul's grace-filled response. You know, the jailer's getting ready to pull out a sword, kill himself. This is the same guy that a few hours earlier had probably beaten Paul and Silas. And I wonder if Silas, you know, when, when Paul says, come on in, uh, we're all here, we're, you're, you're, we're safe, you're safe. I'm wondering if Silas probably looked at him, you know, and if he, some of us think about stuff like this sometimes, you say, well, just let him do it, he, you know, just let him do what he's got to do. Uh, because, you know, I'm going like, he's the guy that tried to, to, try to kill us. He, he beat us. And so Paul has this grace-filled response to the jailer. And Silas, uh, and Silas probably did as well. See, that's one of the things a, a follower does. A follower lives out of, this, out of this area where you can have grace for even those people who show, show, uh, don't show mercy to you as all. And so he's used by God to show grace to people, Paul is. Now today, because of that, because of that response that Paul did, because of the scenario here, because of the situation, because of the jail being opened and its response that Paul and Silas did, and probably the witness as well of singing in jail as well, because of that, it had some influence on the jailer's life. Because we see four decisions that he makes following this. They're the defining decisions for his life. And they're the same four decisions, not only that he made, but they're the same four decisions that we must make in our life if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a fan. The first decision is this. He had to admit, he decided to admit the real condition of his life. He decided to admit the real condition of his life. He was fearful, he was afraid, he was, he was in, a, in, a, in a bad place here, this jailer was. And it says here, he says in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, it says he, he brought them out, talking about Paul and Silas and the others, and he asked them this question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How many of you ever wished in life that you could have a do-over? You know what a do-over, anybody want to admit you wish you had a do-over? About anything, you know, it could be anything. Made bad decisions, uh, did this in your life, you wish you could have a do-over? You've come to a place in life of realizing that, that everything is not the way it should be. And so you wish, and this jailer was at that place in his life. He was probably at that point in time when he's seen his life flash before his eyes. And he was wishing he could have a do-over. He was living with regret. And so what it brought him to was to ask this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Um, you know, one of the things that, that happens every week at Great Oaks is that people show up here. They show up for various reasons. Some of you show up because it's what you do every Sunday, okay? It's habitual. It's what you do every Sunday. And it's a good habit to have, is to go to church, okay? I'm not saying it's bad. It's just sometimes we, gotta, we get into a habit, right, of just doing things. 
A second reason some people come up is because another reason is because they're going through something in their life and they're looking for some kind of a direction or some kind of a comfort or they want to be a part of something and they're seeking something in their life. Some of you are here this morning, you've gone through some stuff in your life and you want to do over. And you wish that there was something you could do in your life, something that can happen to change what's happened in your past. You're looking for something. And the reality is, folks, I want to tell you this, is this is not a place where there's a bunch of perfect people. This is not a hospital for saints. I mean, a, 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 a place or a hotel for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. Every person sitting in this room, including the person speaking, every person in this room has things in our life that we wish we could do over if we could do them again. Even this week, we may have had thoughts. We may have had things that in our life. Because you know what the Bible says about all of us? In Romans 3.10, it says, There was no one righteous, not even one. No one. There's not one person here that lives upon the face of this earth, no one righteous. And in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of, God's glory, fall short of the glory of God. The truth is, is we all come together on Sunday mornings, not because we're all so good, but because we all have need for God. And so when this jailer said this, this question, this is the question that each one of us need to ask ourselves, need to ask God at least once in our life, but we need to ask it almost every day. And, And the question is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the truth is, We must come to a point in our life where we realize that we are not good enough in and of ourselves. And so it's it's basically this. If you realize for the first time that you're spiritually bankrupt, guess what? That's good news. If you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you need somebody or something outside of yourself to live life in a way it would please God. You know, Jesus said this. He said uh, in, in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs are the kingdom of God. You know what the word blessed means? It means happy. He said, happy are those uh, who, who are poor in spirit, who, who discover what their condition is. And because they discover what their condition is, they're not happy about their condition, but they are happy to discover what their condition is. And when you discover that, you ask the question, the first question, the, you make the first commitment you have to make, and that first is this, uh, the first one, the commitment is this, is what is the real condition of my life? We must admit that, the condition of our life. If we're not there yet, my prayer is that you would get there quickly. Because the reality is, the absolute worst thing that could happen for you to show, show up at church today, the absolute worst thing that could happen today is that you hear this story in Scripture and you understand the four things we're going to talk about and you understand them clearly, but you do nothing about it. That's the absolute worst thing that could happen. To deny your need for God, to deny your need for grace, to deceive yourself just enough to believe that being a fan is enough and how your living is working. And the question today is this, what's it going to take What's it going to take for each one of us to move from our head to our heart? What's it going to take for us to move from being simply a fan to being a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it going to take an earthquake? 
That's what it took for the jailer, plus a lot of other stuff. A tragedy? Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to wait? You're going to wait until your marriage falls apart completely or a health crisis uh, comes into your life? Uh, Are you going to wait until you go over the edge financially or emotionally or spiritually? What's it going to take for each of us to get to the place where we will admit that we have a need for God in our life? Is it going to take something tragic? And sadly for some of us, the answer is yes, it's going to take that. But I hope it won't take it for most of us. See, the jailer embraced this moment and he asked the question, he says, what must I do to be saved? He understand that he needed something more. That was the first thing. He admitted his need. And the second thing, uh, the second decision he, he made was uh, uh, another decision that went right along with that. And then he asked the most important question any of us could ever ask, what must I do to be saved? And then he says this in Acts 16, 31. They replied, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He asked the question, he admitted his need, he asked the question, the second question is this, what must I do to be saved? And then they tell him very simply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds very simple, right? Believe. The problem is so often we think it's about what? That, our head. It's about head knowledge, it's about how much I know. If I just believe, I believe in Jesus, that's all I have to do. I just have to believe. I just have to know about him. You know the Bible actually teaches that you can believe in your head? Know that in your, heart, in your head that Jesus is the sinless Son of God, that he died on a cross, that, that, that he paid the price for our sin. You can know all those things, and even that knowledge won't save you. Just having that knowledge itself will not save you. It's not enough. That's what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that even the demons believe, and they tremble. Are the demons saved according to your theology? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. And, and the thing is, is the majority of people in America say they believe in God. Do you know that? The vast majority of America, of people in America say they believe in God. They even believe, the vast majority of people in America say they believe in God. They believe so much that they pray regularly. Uh, Newsweek magazine survey, in a Newsweek magazine survey, 78% of people in America say they pray at least once a week. 78% pray at least once a week. They believe enough to at least pray once in a while. And what I found is another interesting side note to that, uh, to that survey was that uh, the people that identified themselves as atheists, one in five of them said they prayed. Now, I can't figure that one out. That doesn't make sense at all. But, uh, you know, how can you be an atheist and pray to a God you don't believe in? I don't, I don't know how that works. So there's some conflicted people out there. Um, many of us, though, many of you grew up with an awareness of God, didn't you? Some of you grew up in church. Some of you this morning when we sang, uh, when I survey, you singing the words because you knew the words. And you go through, if you've gone through life, we have this awareness of God and but that's not what God, Paul and Silas were talking about when they said believe. It's, it's, about, it's about taking this 18-inch journey from our head to our heart. That's what he's talking about. It's more than just, just, just head knowledge. And so you have to own it personally to be a follower, not a fan. In Romans 10, 9, it says this. It says, if you, if, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
To believe in your heart means you totally trust what Jesus said. You have whole confidence in what he says. And you place your faith and your trust and your life in his hands. I've said this before and you've probably heard it a thousand times, but I'll say it again. The best illustration of this is that so often what we do is we have this mentality in, in, in Christian circles and we have this mentality that, that it's what we do that, that makes us all right with God. It's what we do. You know, we do certain things. We're religious. We go to church. We read our Bible. We do good works. We, have a, we go to five Bible studies. Whatever it takes, we'll do it. And so we have this idea that if I do enough that I'll be all right with God, that I'm really a follower of God. But that's not what the Bible says. It says even you have all that knowledge, once again, you know, the demons have all the knowledge but they, and they tremble, but they don't believe and they haven't no place trust in Jesus Christ. See, the difference, though, is for a follower, a follower believes in what Christ has done. What Christ has done. It's not about do, it's about done. What Christ has done upon a cross, he's paid, when you ask the question, you admit your sin and you, you admit your situation in life and you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? The, question, the answer is not, well, do more, be better, do all those things. That comes as a consequence of our commitment to God, not to make you connected with God. That doesn't make you a follower. It's just to simply do those things. See, the fear that I have and that many of you have is that many of you will believe that because you've been going to church, you've been baptized, you've been religious, that you're a, fo- that you're a follower. And I hope during this series that you understand from Scripture that that's not true. This has been challenging for us, has it not? For those who have been in small groups, those who have been not just emotional. Uh, Heather was talking, wherever you are, Heather, I don't know where you are. But uh, Heather was talking earlier, uh, she said about her small group, about the videos, you know, and about looking at those things. That's been pretty powerful for many of us, right? A lot of tears, a lot of, uh, even our men's group. Can you believe that? A bunch of guys sitting around crying together. That's really freaky. Very uncomfortable, too. No, it's not. It's been great. Not all the time we don't cry. We just do it every once in a while. But the reality is, the reality is, this has been a really tough time because what it's done is challenged us to ask ourselves some hard questions about where am I in my relationship to God? Where am I in my relationship to God? So we come to a third defining de- decision the jailer made, and it comes out of it comes out of Acts sixteen thirty three. Um, the third decision in, in Acts sixteen thirty three, the first part of the verse says, "Following this, this asking this question, and and then giving the answer, following Jesus Christ." And he says, "At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, and he washed their wounds." Now that sounds innocuous enough, right? Yeah, I mean, he washed their wounds. The irony is, think back to the story. Who had probably been, infi- been part of inflicting the wounds on these people a few hours earlier? The jailer. Who now was tenderly caring for and washing their wounds? The jailer. Would you call that a change of heart? You better believe it. I mean, you don't beat person one day and then, you know, and then all of a sudden, and, and, and it's changed that drastically. The jailer. Do you see what the defining decision he makes is? The decision is this, number three. He d- decided to repent and strike out a new direction. 
See, first, you have to admit your need. Secondly, you have to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And thirdly, you have to repent. And you have to strike out in a new direction. One of the things that we will see, and you see consistently in Scripture, is that this is exactly what it means to have a life-saving commitment to Jesus. It's about repentance. Repentance doesn't mean saying, I got caught and I'm sorry. Repentance says, I believe in what God is and I've going, been going in this direction, following my own plan, and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk in the other direction. That's what repentance is. The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia, and it means a change of mind that produces a change of life. So you can have all kinds of change of minds, but it doesn't change any of your actions. We can make decisions about things all the time when we can make this decision in our mind, but then it doesn't lead to any action. See, a follower begins to depend upon God to make changes in their lives. And so I ask the question, based on your life before Christ, has there been a change? Now, for some of you, and... I don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories. The change was pretty dramatic. I mean, I've heard some some stories about some of your the old days, <laughs> and uh, and and you had some pretty dramatic changes in your life. Now, for other people, you grew up as a good church kid, or things were going pretty well, and so the change wasn't quite as dramatic. But it's still a change, a change in your life. And so the thing is, is that when we we have to understand that that's what God wants us to do. He, to, to change, this, this, this jailer changed his direction. He, began, he went from being the person who abused and mistreated the, the prisoners to the person who treated their wounds and cared for them. It's a picture of what changes in our life once we follow Jesus Christ, once we become a true follower, not simply a fan. And finally, he had a fourth decision he did. And the fourth decision is pretty simple, but it's very important too because it's so important in Scripture. He decided to honor and obey the Lord by being baptized. You know what it says there in Acts 16.33? Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. What's the big deal? Now, number one, you know, we, we don't believe that baptism actually saves you. We don't believe Scripture says that. So why is it such a big deal here that he did that? Why did he decide to make this commitment? Well, let me explain it this way. Baptism is really a first act of obedience. It's a first act of obedience. It's simply saying, God, I mean business about this relationship with you. And one of the things so often i found is that people that are serious about their commitment to Jesus Christ, fans, fans will simply say, well, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Followers say, Jesus, the Jesus, the answer is yes. Now, what is, do you want me to do? It's a change of mind. And so the thing is, is that we, we have the, uh, these things. And so this is another example here, another biblical example of the difference between fans and followers. Fans and followers are people, a follower is somebody who's made these four decisions, these four defining moments in their life. And they follow Jesus Christ in that way. Now, I thought it was pro- appropriate this week 
uh, for us to talk about it briefly. I, I want to close in this way. But there's some questions that we have so often at Great Oaks that arise about baptism. I mean, we get it all the time. First step, when we have first step class, number one question. What about this baptism thing? Because we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us don't understand. Different things like that. So let me explain to you three questions. Give you the answers to three questions. Uh, and prompting you to think about this. Because some of you may have made the decision. You've, you've admitted your need for Christ. Some of you may have come to the point of saying, what, is, what must I do to be saved? Some of you may have even gone as far as to repent and want to turn around. But maybe you have not been taught or maybe you don't understand the importance of baptism and what it means in our life. The first question I often have is, why be baptized? Why be baptized? I mean, what's the big deal? If it doesn't save you, why do it? Well, let me give you a couple of answers. Number one, your leader and forgiver of your sin commands you to do it. Jesus says in Scripture that we're to be baptized when we... It says it in multiple places. If you want all the Scripture focuses on the, in, the, in the foyer, out on the... Going out the door on the right-hand side, there's brochures out there that says what the Bible says about baptism. You can go online to our website, and there's information there as well. But I just... Uh, to share with you that one of the reasons to be baptized is because Jesus says so. And remember, the follower says, okay, Jesus, the answer is yes. Now tell me what to do. A second reason that we need to be baptized is the first thing a believer is commanded to do uh, in baptism is to go public with our faith. Let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, were excited yesterday, day before, when the St. Louis Cardinals won? Some of you. Hey, you're raising your hand right now. You know what you just did? You know what you just did? Raise your hands again. Everybody did that. Okay, right. You're all St. Louis Cardinal fans, right? Okay? You just identified with the St. Louis Cardinals. You said, yes, I'm all in. That's what it means to be baptized. You identify. And you do it in a public way. I raise my hand, too, because I'm, I'm a fan now, too. I am a fan. I'm not a follower. I'm a fan, okay? <laughs> so we're to, go, we're to go public. See, I've heard people say, well, you know, my, now this whole thing about my faith is a, is, is, a, is a private thing. Well, I would challenge that. Your, your faith is a personal thing, but it's not a private thing not a private thing it's something that god wants us to let other people know see there's no salvation no salvation without surrendering to god and, and allowing to work in our life in a real way remember that verse that we we've been talking about every week you know what it says luke 9 23 it says he said to them all if any man will come after himself let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me See, baptism doesn't save you. Folks, next week when we, and back here underneath the drums right now, there's actually a baptism pool. It's just a miracle. You know, it just floats. No, it doesn't really that. We have a cover over it. We'll move that. We'll fill it up. But let me explain something to you. The baptistry doesn't have magic water in it. There is no magic water. Okay? It's water. And it will be heated. Right, Mark? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Okay. Um, didn't happen one week. Anyway. 
But baptism, while Jesus, uh, Jesus saves you, not baptism, your faith in Jesus, Jesus, what he did on the cross, saves you, not baptism. But baptism is an essential part of coming to faith in Jesus. It's kind of like this, folks. On my hand is a wedding ring. I've used this illustration a thousand times. I've heard other people use it. And I wear it on my hand to do what? Why do I wear this wedding ring for the last 34 plus years? It's a symbol of my commitment to my wife. Now, if I decided that I wasn't going to wear the wedding ring anymore should she should and just say i just don't want to wear it anymore what would she think should she question my commitment to her maybe because if i had no legitimate reason other than you know i take it off every once in a while to play sports or to you know work in a machine shop for a while do things like that but it was back on as soon as it was done it's that symbol it's an important it doesn't make me married when i put this ring on you know, when I said those words with this ring, I'd be wed. I've done it a thousand times, well, not a thousand, probably a hundred times to people over the years. You know, it doesn't make them married because they wear the ring, but it's important. It's an important symbol of what we do. And baptism is, is more than even that. Because when I look at the, in the book of Acts, the whole book of Acts, not just Acts 16, you know that there are nine conversion stories in the book of Acts? Nine conversion stories where people have come to Christ. And you know that every one of those stories, without an exception, it involves someone putting their life, uh, their, admitting their life is not working, uh, just like the jailer, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ instead of themselves, just like the jailer did, repenting and walking in a new direction, just like the jailer did. And every one of the stories in the book of Acts, without exception, ends with a visible expression of obedience called baptism. And so I asked myself the question, and you should ask yourself the question. Yeah, it might not save you, but obviously it's hugely important. It's a hugely important act of obedience. While Scripture is clear that baptism doesn't save you, it is just as clear that baptism is vitally important to the follower of Jesus Christ. It's an act of obedience. The second, the second question that I'm often asked is this. When am I ready to be baptized? When are you ready to be baptized? Let me give you the pattern in Scripture. And this is just one of multitudes of examples. In Acts 8.13, it says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. The biblical sequence is to believe and then be baptized. Without exception. The biblical sequence is to believe and then be baptized. Believe in your heart, not just believe in your head, believe in your heart. Uh, you put your trust in Jesus and you express that trust outwardly in baptism. That's what the Bible says clearly. That is why, as a church, we do not baptize infants or, or really small children until they're old enough to understand and believe. We have a celebration day called Child Dedication here where we believe it's important. That's where parents come and they bring their children, uh, small children, and they dedicate themselves to raising their children in, an, in a Christian environment. We believe that's hugely important. And we believe that parents should do that, but we don't believe that and we don't, we don't baptize infants because we believe the Bible tells us clearly, without exception, that the process for baptism is believe in all your heart and be baptized. And some people have this question, what if you came to faith some time ago and nobody really explained baptism to me? Uh, well, if you didn't understand it and you know the importance of it now, our encouragement to you would be this. Once you understand the desire of Jesus concerning baptism or anything, 
you should obey. If it's new information for you, you should obey. And a conflict that some people have is this fear that saying, well, if I am baptized right now, you know, and I've been a Christian for a number of years, I've made this commitment, these first three commitments to Jesus a number of years ago, will it reflect poorly on the faith I've had up until now? I don't believe nothing could be further from the truth. Because first of all, we're not judges of, of, of your heart. And secondly, when you get new news from the Bible and decide to obey it, it doesn't reflect, reflect poorly on your faith, does it? You have all knowledge of everything in Scripture. I don't have it. I discover new things all the time. And when I discover new things, as a follower of Christ, I try to incorporate those into my life as a follower. And so it doesn't reflect poorly on you. What it does, it expresses your faith in a real way. So anybody who has made a commitment to Jesus Christ and they've not been baptized, we encourage them to do that because we believe it's important biblically. It's a symbol of obedience to Jesus Christ. And finally, how should I be baptized? Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, and I'm going to wrap this up, but I just want to share with you this. There's different modes of baptism. We all know that. There's sprinkling. There's pouring. There's other things like that. Some of them has historical precedence because they did it because of different environments and different things that are going on or because they did it with infants and they didn't want to immerse infants and stuff like that. And so we had all these different modes. But in Scripture, in Scripture, we see that baptism was done by immersion. And we baptize by immersion because that's what the biblical word baptizo means. It literally means to dip or immerse, to dip or immerse. And so that's, how, that's what we practice. And so next week when we have baptism, we already have four people I know of that's made commitments to be baptized. And I hope that after today, many of you, others that are sitting on the fence in regard to this will make a decision in regard to that as well. When they're baptized, we will see them go under the water and come out of the water. It's a, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of, of their life, dying to their old self and rising to a new life in Christ. And so we believe that's why Jesus and why the Bible talks about baptism in that way. Now, let me wrap up by saying this. What was the outcome of these four decisions that the uh, jailer made? What was the outcome? I mean, you know, he, 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 he admitted his need. He asked the question, what must I do to be saved? He repented of his sin. He was baptized. What was the outcome of that? His life became gloomy, right? Right after that. No. You know what it says in verse 34? It says, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See, when we follow Jesus as a follower, not simply a fan, it doesn't stifle our existence. It frees us in ways we have never experienced before so the question is do you want to be free or do you want to live life in bondage followers experience the freedom of living in christ fans do not next week we'll wrap this series up by talking about is jesus enough is jesus enough and i hope you're here for that as well this morning as we close, I would like to pray in just a moment, but I'd like to challenge you to do one thing. Ask yourself the question, have I made these four decisions in my life? Have I admitted my need for Jesus Christ? Have I asked the question, what must I do to be saved?
Have I repented of my sin and turned my life around? Am I willing to go in the opposite direction and follow Christ in my life? And have I been baptized? And if the answer to any of those questions is no, I haven't done it yet, but I'd like to, I'd like for you to, to, to do something. I'd like for you to go by. Chris, where are you? Chris is going to, I'm going to ask you to do something. I didn't, this is not plan. Chris is going to be out here after the service. And if you'd like to come and talk to Chris, and I'm going to be on, you'll be on that side, I'll be on that side. I'm not going to go out next to Greek this day, today. And after we sing our closing song, after that's done, after we sing sing our song, if you'd like to come and talk to us about this next step you may want to take, uh, we encourage you to do so. We encourage you to do so. Uh, this is going to be a time where uh, you can you can just come. It's not uh, we're not a pr- your priest, okay? We're just simply fellow strugglers along the way. But we want to encourage you in whatever steps you need to take. And those steps are really simple today. Very simple steps. This has been a very simple message. But we encourage you to take those steps because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.